As we bring it back in in the room here, I just wanted to say a special welcome to those who might be watching on the website uh, or on the podcast uh, or on YouTube as well. And uh, as we start this new series of talks today, I hope this gives you an idea of what we're going to be talking about over the next uh, eight or nine weeks um, as we talk about life and faith. And as everyone wraps up in the room here, I'd love you to turn your attention to the screen, some conversations of people on the street. Nice and loud. Um, I go on Google. Google. I definitely Google. I go on Wikipedia. Internet. I uh, scroll through all the different answers and then I try and combine it and then make my own kind of cornerstone. Or smart friends. I don't ask big life questions. It's too hard to answer. Google or my grandmother. I meditate or I read. When I have a big life questions, I probably go to my family. I haven't really had any mess of what to say. So. My mom or my dad, basically. My mom or my dad, maybe my grand. I get most of my answers from the library in any section there, because I don't really trust the people that I'm around. The key is always to yourself. You gotta figure some things out for yourself. If I'm confused, I go to him first. And he confuses me more. But when it's something more personal, I try to find it within myself first. So um, as I mentioned, we're starting this new series of talks about life and faith. If you're a Christian, I really believe that this is going to enrich your faith, whether you've been walking with Jesus for a long time or not. And if you're not a Christian but you're curious about Christianity and this, this guy called Jesus, I, I really believe these talks are going to give you a, a clear picture of what he is all about, who Jesus is, and why he's worth taking a closer look at uh, in your life. Uh, thank you for being here. Um, especially if you're not a churchgoer, um, because it's not actually, um, or even if you're just not usually part of the billabong, it's not actually that easy to walk into a worship gathering with a bunch of strangers. Um, and so I really appreciate you coming along. And, and I appreciate uh, all of you being here um, as we worship together because it builds us up in the Lord. It builds our faith. For the first 16 years of my life, I wasn't a follower of Jesus. I grew up in a family that went to church uh, uh, each Sunday or most Sundays, um, but uh, and, and my mum was a committed Christian, but I didn't really understand what it was all, it was all about. Um, and then as a teenager, when I was sort of 14, 15, 16, I didn't really want to know what it was about. I kind of wasn't very interested anymore. Um, and there were certainly more interesting things like sport and, and music and computer games. Uh, but as I neared the end of high school, uh, when I was sort of 15, 16, uh, homework and study was, was um, then an excuse to stay home from church. And uh, my dad used it as an excuse as well. He said I needed moral support, so he said he'd stay home from church as well. Um, and so Christianity is kind of off the radar at this point in my life. But at the same time, I was beginning to consider, well, what am I going to do after high school? Where is this all leading? How is this unexciting maths and English and science that I'm doing in year 11, 12 now really going to lead anywhere? And, and is, there really, is there any more than this? Then, then, then maybe I'll finish school and, and go to uni, and then after uni I'll probably get a job, depending on what degree I've studied, and then that'll be maybe 40 years or so, retire, I don't know, buy a boat, and then, like, is that it? Is that all I will, there is to life? Or is there more to life than this? Then I was, a few years later, new season at uni, enjoying that, having a good time, living on campus, 
But all the while, I was still going, is, is there more? Is there more than this? Um, I think it's easy to go through life and you hit a new phase or a new season or a new stage and you think, is this it? Is this, is this, really, have I, is this really where I'm trying to get to? There's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be more than this. Uh, there was a guy by the name of Bernard Levin who was one of the great columnists of the last century. He was writing a, a long, long time ago, but he, write this, he wrote this. And bear in mind, he wasn't a Christian. He actually said at one time, for the 14,000th time, I'm not a Christian, because people obviously thought he was by the way he spoke. But uh, not a Christian guy, this is what he wrote. He said, countries like ours are full of people who have all the material comforts they desire, together with such non-material blessings as happy family and yet lead lives of desperation, understanding nothing but the fact that there is a hole inside of them. And however much food and drink they pour into it, however many motor cars and television sets they stuff it with, however many balanced children and loyal friends they parade around the edges of it, it aches. Uh, also the comedian Russell Brand, if you know of him, said, drugs and alcohol are not my problem, reality is my problem. Drugs and alcohol are my solution to fill up a hole inside of me. I, I think looking back, that is kind of like what I was experiencing, what maybe you've experienced. There's this kind of a hole, like a hunger, almost a spiritual hunger uh, in my life. But at the time, even though I'd grown up in church, I didn't know that Jesus had said this, that I am the bread of life. He actually claimed to, to be the one person who can satisfy that spiritual hunger in our life. Um, it's a bit like what Freddie Mercury said. This was the lead singer of, of the rock band Queen, which I'm sure you've heard of. Uh, has, he, he obviously had amassed this huge fortune, attracted millions of fans, but he admitted in this, this interview uh, before he, his death that he was desperately lonely. He said this, he said, you can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest man. And that's the most bitter kind of loneliness. Success has brought me world idolization and, and millions of pounds, but it's prevented me from having the one thing we all need, a loving, ongoing relationship. Let's watch the screen. Maybe money. What makes me happy? Music. Music, ice cream, and cheese. Sleep makes me happy. No, going to the gym, seeing my friends, going to the pub, playing football. Dogs. Alcohol. Uh, women. Pretty much. The idea of life in general makes me happy. Clothes. Uh, women. More to life than this. That's a really good question. I don't know, I can't tell you. I think we're supposed to learn a couple of things. There's nothing more. I'm still figuring that out, to be honest. Uh, no. It's live in the moment. Absolutely. I strongly believe that there's more to life than this. No idea. Sorry. <laughs> Is there more to life than this? Well, what does Jesus have to say about uh, this, this longing that's inside of every one of us for, for something more? Well, at one point he, he said this. He said, I am the way, we sung about it earlier, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That, that longing for a, a relationship that Freddie Mercury talked about in that interview and, and that we all have, 
uh, for, for relationship. Well, ultimately, I believe there's only one kind of relationship, only one relationship that's totally loving and goes on forever, and that's a relationship with God. And Jesus uh, astoundingly claimed to be the way to that relationship. Um, last year, uh, I was looking at some photos on my phone, and, and I realized that the selfies that were taken with the front camera, not of me, of course, but of my boys, um, were usually, they're all blurry. So when I look through the photos, there's on, on the left-hand side, on every single photo, there's this kind of blur. At first, it wasn't noticeable, but if you looked, you couldn't see clearly the image in that part of the photo. Um, and it was always on the same side. Then I noticed when you're actually taking the photo, that blur was there as well. And it was a relatively new phone at the time, so I just thought, you know, this, this must be an issue with the camera. I don't know if I can really be bothered taking it in and getting, getting it fixed. I just thought there was an issue with the phone camera. Then one day, I replaced the screen protector on the front of the phone, and the blur went away. And I realized the whole time, just a little bit of the screen protector was covering the lens and making it blurry. Um, uh, some of you may have experienced a similar thing when you first got uh, glasses, that before you could see... But now you could really see, like the blur, the thing that was, that was making it blurry had been fixed and now you've got a much clearer uh, line of sight uh, or much clearer vision. Uh, to me, this is the difference that Jesus makes in our life. Uh, C.S. Lewis was one of the great intellectual giants of the 20th century, probably best known for, uh, as being the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and Magician's Nephew and all that. And uh, he said this, he said it this way, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I can see it, but because by it I see everything else. And, and it's like Jesus is the lens through which we can see God and the, he, not only is he the way to God, he's the way by which the lens by which we see the world in a totally different dimension and a totally different clarity. He said, he's the way. Then Jesus said, I am the truth. Now, some people's response to a, to a Christian, uh, uh, maybe to you at some time, has been uh, that that's great for you, this faith you have, but you found meaning and purpose in your life, but it's not for me. It's great for you, but, but not, not for me. When you think about it, that's not actually a, a, a logical position because if Christianity is true, uh, it, that means it's of vital importance to every single one of us. And if it's not true, then it's not great for us because it means we're deluded by something that's false. C.S. Lewis, again, put it like this. He said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. If true, is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. And so the question, of course, is, is it true? Uh, even if you're a Christian, you, you may believe, yeah, yes, there's a God who created me, loves me, but, but so much of the Bible seems to be uh, irrelevant or, or, or questionable in terms of how we'd really apply it today. Can we really say it's true? Um, we're going to look at this in more detail in weeks to come, especially next week when Cam speaks about who is Jesus and the evidence and um, the scriptures and that kind of thing. Um, the evidence, though, for the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus is such that Christian and non-Christian historians alike overwhelmingly come to the conclusion 
that it's true, that it's reliable. In fact, one former professor of modern history at Oxford described the resurrection as the best-attested fact in history. Can you imagine that? The best-attested fact in history, a man rising from the dead. Many pioneers of modern science were believers as well. Here's, here's a few of them. Descartes, Newton, Kepler, Galileo, Locke, Copernicus, uh, Faraday, Kelvin, and Pasteur. Lawyers like uh, Lord Denning, arguably he was the greatest lawyer of the last century, was, was also known, well known for his Christian faith. He, he used the powers of analysis that you would use as a lawyer to look at the evidence and through doing that came to the conclusion it's true. Uh, another example, Francis Collins. Uh, this was uh, one of the greatest scientists of our time. Uh, was, he was the director of the Human Genome Project, which mapped the three billion letters of the human DNA. And this project was considered by many to be the most si significant scientific undertaking of our time. Um, so in the clip we're going to watch, he, he, uh, this descri he describes how he encountered Jesus and came to believe in the truth of Christianity. Well, in the home where I grew up, uh, faith was not something that was talked about very much. Uh, my father was a professor of drama, my mother a playwright. Uh, when I went to college and those discussions in the dorm late at night about religion uh, began to occur, I had no particular reason to attach value uh, to a faith system. It had never been something I was familiar with or had internalized at all. And I assumed that any religious feelings that anyone held must be on the basis of some emotional experience, and I didn't trust those, or on the basis of some childhood indoctrination, uh, which I felt I was fortunate to have missed. I loved the experience of learning about the human body and all of the components of that, and I particularly loved being introduced to genetics. But then I ended up in, in the medical school curriculum sitting at the bedside of patients with diseases. This was no longer an abstract study of molecules and organ systems. These were real people. And one afternoon, one of my patients, a wonderful elderly woman, much like a grandmother, uh, who had very bad heart disease. Uh, she had a particularly bad episode of chest pain uh, while I was with her. She got through it, and at the end of that, explained to me how her faith was the thing that helped her in that situation. She realized that the doctors around her weren't really giving her that much help, but her faith was. And after she finished her own very personal description uh, of that faith, she turned to me, and I had been silent, and she looked at me quizzically and she said, what do you believe, doctor? And ultimately I had to admit to myself that her question had made me realize that I had arrived at an answer to the most important issue that we humans ever deal with. Is there a God? And I had arrived there without ever really looking at the evidence. And I was supposed to be a scientist. If there's one thing scientists claim they do is to arrive at conclusions based upon evidence. And I hadn't taken the trouble to do that. I was greatly assisted uh, by a pastor who lived down the road who I went and asked about all this and who gave me a copy of C.S. Lewis's wonderful book, Mere Christianity, because here was an Oxford scholar, a prodigiously developed intellect, who had traveled the same path. Within those pages, I realized for the first time that one can come to belief on a rational basis and that, in fact, 
given the many pointers that one sees around oneself in terms of the universe and it having a beginning and its fine-tuning in terms of the way in which all those constants that determine the behavior of matter and energy seem to have been set just in a certain very precise range to make life possible. Uh, and many other things, including my beloved mathematics and why they actually work anyway to describe the universe, something that makes you think the Creator must have been a mathematician. That brought me then to the person of Jesus Christ as a person who was historically extremely well documented. That was news to me. I thought Christ was as much myth as history and I realized after reading more about it, this was a historical figure upon which we have a great deal of evidence for his existence and his teachings and even his rising from the dead in a literal way. That day at uh, my patient's bedside started a journey for me, a journey that I was reluctant uh, to begin, but I felt I needed to, a journey that I thought would result in strengthening my atheism, but to my surprise resulted in my conversion. So, when Jesus said, uh, I am the truth, the, the Hebrew understanding of that word truth, it, it was not really just an intellectual truth, a head knowledge. It's actually more of a heart knowledge. In other words, this is talking about truth as experience. So you might ask, well, what's the difference then between intellectual and heart knowledge? I want you to imagine for a minute that there was a website called themostamazingwoman.com.au and it featured uh, a girl by the name of Karen <laughs> with different pages, all, and there was different pages all about her amazing traits. So the first one, her appreciation of just nature's beauty, uh, you know, really appreciating um, uh, God's world around us. The next one would be her, there would be a page on her amazing organisational skills and getting everything organized and in order. Then there would be, of course, her appreciation for good coffee. She's a coffee connoisseur um, and teaching her children the same. Um, and then finally, her amazingly fun attitude as, as a mother. Um, now, I might read through this website. You might read through this website and go, wow, she sounds like an amazing woman. That, though, is head knowledge. Um, I, on the other hand, have the privilege of being married to her and so I know that she's an amazing woman uh, from an experience of a relationship. And it's a different thing. That is heart knowledge, not just head knowledge. So if you or I can genuinely say, you know, I know Jesus is the truth, as he said he was, we're not just talking about being convinced of the evidence, although that's important. We're actually also talking about experiencing a, a relationship with the risen Christ. And so Jesus, he said, I am the way. He said, I am the truth. Lastly, he said, I am the life. And he said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. He said that elsewhere uh, in John's Gospel. Jesus, he came to deal with all of the things that stop us from living life to the full. He came to stop um, the things that spoil our lives from getting in the way. Uh, I don't know about you, but... I, uh, I, I do not like shopping very much. In fact, I'd probably say I hate shopping. When yesterday I got some, some new clothes and things, I'm like in and out of there as quickly as we possibly can, um, especially clothes shopping and, dare I say it, Christmas shopping. Just, I'm sorry if that offends anyone, I'm just not a fan. 
Um, there was actually research done by this uh, London news group um, some years ago entitled Official Men Find Shopping Stressful. Now, I don't want to suggest any gender stereotypes or anything like that. Please forgive me. But let's just read. Let me read for a second what this article said. And it was on the internet, so it had to be true. Uh, male, stress, male stress levels soar when they're faced with the dilemma of choosing gifts and coping with crowded shops. The research was conducted by a psychologist, Dr. David Lewis, who monitored blood pressure and heartbeat before, during, and after the shopping trip. The peak stress levels were equivalent to emergency situations experienced by fighter pilots or policemen going into dangerous situations. Even the thought of shopping was enough to send stress levels soaring with more than 70% of men recording above average readings before leaving the home. <laughs> now maybe there's some exaggeration there, I'm not sure, but I definitely don't remember shopping as a kid being quite so stressful. Uh, in fact, some of my memories of going to the big shops in Mandra, which was where we had our school holidays most of the time, um, was, were really positive memories. Um, sometimes we'd go there because we were allowed to buy a toy. Sometimes we might be allowed to have a treat from one of the food outlets. And on occasion, and most importantly, we would sometimes be allowed to go to the self-serve lolly section at Kmart. Anybody remember that? Yeah. Uh, this is where you could fill up a couple of lollies with as many as you could stack in there from all the different selections. And occasionally our parents would let us get a cup maybe to share. Uh, I do remember though that one day we were shopping there, in, obviously in Kmart, and we weren't allowed to get a cup of lollies that day, but I really, really wanted just one. Um, those, those layered candy balls where when you uh, suck them they sort of disintegrate and change colours as you go. Um, so while no one was looking... I took one. Yes. Uh, now, it was only one. It was probably ten, five or ten cents worth, and, and I was positive that no one saw me. Don't worry, I've repented since. Um, but I remember that for days afterwards, there was this feeling uh, that I'd not felt so strongly before. And that feeling, of course, was guilt. I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, I, I thought, what if I get found out? You know, and I just regretted taking this one candy ball uh, as, a, as a young child. We've, we've all felt that feeling of guilt before on some level or another. But Jesus actually came to deal with our guilt. And this is the amazing news, is that God loves you unconditionally that you are loved. It's the most important thing to take away from any church service or course or series of talks. Uh, th this truth, you are loved. God loves you. Uh, that God came in the person of his son Jesus to die on a cross for you and for me. Uh, and that on the cross he took all of your guilt, all of my guilt, Everything you've ever done wrong, everything I've ever done wrong, thought wrong, said wrong, uh, and he died in our place in order that we could be forgiven. C.S. Lewis said, forgiveness is like a recording of our life being wiped completely clean. And when we re receive that forgiveness, we find life and life in all its fullness. And that's what Jesus wants for us, life 
in all its fullness. He wants for us life at its very, very best. I think for so many years, you know, I always just strived to be strong in myself. And it was as if that all I needed was me and my buddies and, you know, would be like invincible. But the truth is, none of us are. And I don't want to do this thing called life. I don't want to do it on my own. And it kind of feels like my longing for this, this light inside is now stronger than my fear of what others might think. And people often ask, well, doesn't that make uh, faith like a crutch? And, you know, well, maybe, but, you know, what does a crutch do? Uh, a crutch helps you stand and it makes you stronger. And in that case, you know, sure, I need a bit of that. But especially when it's so much more than that, when this faith inside is also, also like a backbone, uh, helping me stand tall and help me be strong when I'm really up against it, facing those odds, whether it's on a mountain or stuck in some jungle, or just dealing with the storms, you know, with the storms of life. Uh, sure, I need it, I, you know, I, I need that. Uh, but at heart, my Christian faith says that I am, that I'm known, that I'm known to Christ. Uh, bought at a price, uh, blessed with light. Uh, faith says that we're loved, regardless of our mess, uh, regardless of how many times we fall down and that Jesus somehow picks me up. And sure, you know, I'll reach out to that. Why, why wouldn't I? So I used to think that Christianity was boring, that it was questionable and pretty much irrelevant. When I met Jesus, though, I realized that he was anything but. Many of you have the same experience. Uh, even if you're a Christian, though, you may still be following Jesus uh, reluctantly living as if you're like you're not really free. That uh, even though at one point you felt that this faith was freedom, now you feel like it's a burden, and that's not what Jesus wants. Or maybe you you uh, have no idea whether Jesus has something to offer for you, but you're curious, you're interested. Maybe it's worth exploring. Well, Jesus said He's the way to God the one who brings meaning and purpose to life. He said he's the truth. He said he's the life. That true fulfillment is, is found in a relationship with God through him. And I want to encourage you uh, not just to uh, attend church over the, the next eight Sundays as we explore who Jesus is and then these topics of uh, why he had to die. Uh, so who Jesus is next week, why he had to die, faith, the Bible, prayer, the Holy Spirit, um, but also then to engage with questions that we all have. We all have questions about uh, what it all, how it all works out and what it all means, no matter whether you're an inquisitive atheist or a 50-year veteran follower of Jesus. There's so much to explore about Jesus and the impact that he can have on our lives um, as individuals and community, communally. Uh, so after each service, if you want to sit down and just chat with some other people about the topic for the day, what we've spoken about, say what you think, challenge what's been said. There's going to be tables uh, with coffee and food over in this uh, corner for you to do that. Each person's opinion is, is really important and it's worth hearing and there's no question that is too complex or too simple. Uh, but if you would rather just mull over the content yourself and hang out over morning tea each Sunday, of course you're welcome to do that as well. Either way, 
I really want to urge you to be here, to, uh, and, and especially if you, you sort of tend towards sometimes just coming occasionally, or, or if you're just visiting and you're like, oh, I thought I'd just come one Sunday, but I'm not sure. Why not uh, make a commitment to say, I'm, you know what, I'm going to be here just for this season. Think about it this way. If you live to be 70, you're going to spend 20 years and three months asleep, 10 years and five months watching TV, that's scary, uh, five years and nine months in some form of transportation, seven years and six months eating and drinking, and there's still approximately 87,000 hours left in this decade alone. No, we're at the beginning of it, but anyway. Uh, so why not just spend uh, 12 hours over these next eight weeks right here and, and just ask life's biggest questions, engage with how Jesus might actually impact our lives in a deeper way than what he currently is. Um, I want to just close with a short prayer this morning uh, to ask God to make himself known to each one of us uh, over the next eight weeks, that there wouldn't be anything that might get in the way of each person discovering truth and life in its fullness. So let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for the reliability of the scriptures that we will explore more next week, Uh, the fact that Jesus is not some myth, but the God-man who came to reveal you, the true God, to us. And uh, we pray, Lord, that wherever we are at with believing that this is the case, that you would uh, make it really clear to us that you would, in these opportunities to converse and to explore and to think and to wrestle with what really is the truth, uh, that there wouldn't be any, anything in the way of us exploring that and really getting to the crux of what this life is all about. We thank you, God, for this time together to uh, be in community, to make friends and to be friends, and we pray that you would deepen those relationships in this time as well across all generations. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.